Welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball, and along with Allison Carter, good morning, Allison. Hello. We love to talk about small business, both tools and techniques, as well as just things and topics of interest to small business owners. This morning, my guest is Ron Nippert. Hello, Lorraine. How are you? Good morning. I am so happy that you could be here today. Me too. So, um, my guess is that a lot of folks in the small business community have not run across you before, which is really their misfortune. You kind of say so. So, what I want to do is I want to kind of start off a little bit, let people know a little bit about what you've done. Um, we're going to talk about how that impacts small businesses, and then we're going to talk about some of the cool stuff that you're working on now, which I think is going to make India an even more interesting place to live and work and run a business. Sure thing. Great to be here. Hey, Allison, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm fabulous. So I'm a recovering lawyer, as you know, Lorraine, um, and I'm also a bit of a transplant, and this may come in to be more relevant later on in the conversation, but I moved to Indianapolis professionally uh, about 26-some years ago from San Francisco uh, to practice law. And because they don't need lawyers in San Francisco? Well, they had a lot of lawyers in San Francisco, but you know, the main thing was I had fallen in love with uh, a beautiful young woman who hailed from Indianapolis. And so as we were making that grown-up decision of where should we live and, and the like, a lot of the reasons why we chose Indianapolis then really became relevant to me personally when 25 years later, Part of my job is to recruit companies to come to Indianapolis from places like San Francisco. But I'm jumping ahead of the story. <laughs> That's okay. I love starting in the middle and, and, and then working my way outward. Yeah. Okay. So um, I ran across, and I think we first connected when you were doing work with economic development. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I was in private law practice, I represented a lot of companies, large and small. And part of that was actually helping companies kind of work their way through the economic development process sometimes and figuring out why expanding in this area made sense for them and what kinds of options, incentives, those kinds of programs were available. And I did a little bit of stint, a little work in public policy and the like. And so I made that shift where we met when I was at the Indy Partnership. And that, that responsibility was all about helping companies here already grow and expand and helping them work through those decisions and, and some of those issues, and then recruiting other companies to come here, and basically going out and being the marketing arm, if you will, for the Indianapolis region. Okay, so what are some of the things that you would tell someone, and um, I mean, I, I, I clearly have a couple of things in, in my repertoire, because like you, I am a uh, naturalized t-shirt. <laughs> um, really? Have you lived here long enough to be that? Uh, 20 years. I think that gives you naturalized status. Yeah, you're still a new kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> okay, so... Not from here, are you? No, I'm going to a quarter century. Yeah, that's, that's not really enough. Um, <laughs> but, but what do you tell companies, um, besides the fact that it is going to take them a while to get the training wheel to come off as far as being <laughs> part of the community, what do you tell companies when they're based in San Francisco, when they're based in New York or in Dallas, and, and they say to you, Indianapolis? Really? Yeah. So we joke about it. Actually, one of the big selling points for this region is the fact that it is so easy to plug in right away. And I used to say this to, you know, to law students when we were recruiting talent to come here. Um, I would always talk about how it is so easy to come to this 
community, and if you want to be engaged, no matter what area or what kind of engagement you want to have, whether it's civic, whether it's charitable, whether it's a worship community or whatever, it's an easy place to plug in and immediately have an impact. And I think for businesses, it's the same thing. You can come in because the opportunities are so great and the options available are so wonderful. You know, here are some of the natural selling points about Indianapolis and the region are location, proximity to customer base, to supply chain, things like that, the ease with which you can move goods and services from here to other places around the country, around the world. So that's one of the general selling points, business climate. It's a nice, stable business climate. You know, and, and I'm going to go back just real quick on something that you said, the idea that you can plug in. Um, when I started Roundhead 11 years ago, I had this great national database because that had been my job. I had been traveling around the country. I had been working everywhere, and I had 53 people in my database that I felt like I could even talk to about my business locally. And when I meet people today, they're always surprised that that was ever an issue for me because I have thousands of contacts. And it is because if you put yourself out there, doors open. Um, I have found people uh, in all areas in this city to be very accessible. And I don't think that's the case in um, New York or Chicago or um, perhaps San Francisco. Well, I think that's right. And it's probably a reflection of the fact that we're a, um, a younger business community in a sense. What I mean by that, there's obviously sort of the um, great institutions that are sort of the foundation of the, the business community, companies like Lilly, Cummins, and Roche, some of those larger companies. But, you know, in the 70s, we had to go through this transition like a lot of Midwestern towns did because our bread and butter back in the day was, you know, manufacturing and things like that. Industries have gone through incredible change. What made Indianapolis sort of stand out, I think, amongst some of our peers in the Midwest is we, we made that transition to new, either newer ways of thinking about manufacturing, so-called advanced manufacturing, or we took our life sciences strengths and we've turned those into startup opportunities, more entrepreneurial culture. We've embraced things like... Uh, uh, the tech sector, uh, and all of the stuff that's going on in that space. And then our natural sort of location gives us this leg up on logistics, but it's not just, we're not just talking about warehousing. We're talking about value add logistics like for companies like Brightpoint and, and the like. So we, in a sense, in the last 30 years, almost had to reinvent ourselves as a business community, if you will, which meant a lot of new ideas and a lot of new blood. And a lot of folks, you know, like you and I are looking around and saying, I need a little help. I need some contact. We may say it in a different way than that, but it's like I need a network. I need to figure out who could be a good supplier or a good service provider or who can I be a good service provider to. Mm-hmm. Um, always something we thought about in the law firm, you know? Which which new client can I serve next? <laughs> How can I serve you? <laughs> So a lawyer saying, I, 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 mean, I, I know this is a side note, but a lawyer saying, how can I serve you, is right up there with the IRS saying, I'm here to help. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a lot of lawyers who actually literally do want to serve you and, and uh, sue you. We, <laughs> we, we tend to benefit from that because we usually, we're usually on the opposite side representing companies against that sort of stuff. So, you know, even in the law, you need to have a good, robust uh, uh, yin-yang going on there. Right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So um, you you know you've got this um, this community. I think that one of the things that has struck me about it is the way people come together around ideas. Right. So things like the um, the cultural trail and the Monon Trail, the the Super Bowl initiative. Mm-hmm. People look at the ideas and sort of have their own. Okay, this is how it's going to fit me. Right, right. Which is a nice segue to something that you're working on now that I think you're trying to build some momentum around. Sure. One of the things I've spent a lot of time over the last uh, 18 months personally, and a lot of folks have spent a lot longer time working on, is this notion of creating a much better, a more robust regional transit network and system. As you know, today we have uh, a not, not a very uh, good public transit system. Indigo is very limited. It's limited geographically. It can only serve Marion County, so it can't even cross county lines, which is silly in a day and age where commerce doesn't recognize political boundary. It's where workers uh, look for jobs and we don't limit ourselves to saying, I need to stay in Zuko. That's crazy. And when businesses are recruiting talent and the like, you know, again, those, those geopolitical lines are meaningless. We're the 12th largest city in America, and we have the 89th largest transit system just to put it in context. So we've spent a lot of time looking at and asking the question, what kind of transit system do we need? Kind of not what do we want. We all know what we want, but that, those are bells and whistles that come with a really uh, unattainable price tag. But so, what so, do we need? Okay, so what I want is a transporter beam. I, sure. I, I, I would like to... Phase you know, two. Okay, thank you. Phase two. If that helps us move on, that's phase two. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say to folks in public meetings because a lot of people have a lot of ideas and, you know, why can't we just build the Disney World monorail, you know? Well, we don't have Walt Disney's pocket. That's the part. So I always say, you know, that's a great idea. That's probably a phase two. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Um, okay, I'm going to stop just for a moment and remind people that um, Allison is on the Twitter stream and um, if you've got a comment or a question, be sure to use the hashtag MTFW. If you have um, a great phase two ideas for us. If you've got a great phase two or three idea, please share. Um, <laughs> also, if you want to call in, it's 805-285-9865. Okay, so if I can't have my transporter beam in phase two, right. What kind of things are you guys looking at for phase one that, um, you know, both as, as a resident of the city and as a business owner sure. that are going to make a difference for me? So it's all about me. It, it always should be about you, Lorraine. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you understand that. I got it. So here, it, it, on one level, it's really very simple. And then on another, another level, of course, less so. On the very simple level, a good transit system should simply allow people to get where they want to go when they want to get there, okay? I mean, that is the definition of a good transit system. All right, where do you want to go? So you need to make sure that the network connects places. Economic centers like businesses, entertainment centers, cultural centers, health care centers, education, uh, et cetera. So the first thing you do is you have to look at sort of what, what is where and where do people, where are people, and also where they live and where you want to go and start putting literally lines on a map and trying to figure out how do you most effectively connect. And to do that, when you start with a system like we have, which is um, kind of grid-based but limited geographically, so you start looking at what are those sort of natural connection points. So in our region, you would say a lot of folks want to get from uh, outside Marion County, from the economic centers, whether it's Carmel 
uh, Fishers, Noblesville, and Hamilton County, Greenwood, Plainfield. We get a lot of jobs, distribution, logistics, great companies out there. Even in Hancock County, Greenfield, with uh, Alanco and Covance, a lot of life sciences jobs there. All right, so, and then we've got a lot of great universities within the region. We have great cultural. So you want to connect. How can I get to the art museum? How can I get to Connor Prairie? How can I get to the Palladium? How can I get to downtown and all the amenities there? So you literally start looking at how do you connect these places. The second thing about getting there when you want to get there means you have to have a system that has a lot of frequency, and that's one of our problems today. We don't fund the current Indigo system, which means the buses don't run very often. And frankly, the only people who use the system today are people who really don't have another choice because it's inconvenient. You know, that's um, uh, both growing up in New York and then um, we just got back from um, uh, a trip and being able to sort of experience transportation in European cities. The thing that made those cities and made public transportation really work for us as a tourist is the fact that I could walk over to a bus station and know within three to five minutes right. another one would be coming. Right. Um, if I was going to leave my car and go to work, if the bus only runs every 20 minutes, all of a sudden my work day changes around a bus schedule right. rather than simply using it and making the public transportation fit my life. Exactly. That is exactly the point, that the, you should not live your life around the bus schedule. The transit system is just infrastructure. Right? It's infrastructure that lets you live your life mm -hmm. the way you need and want to live it. Right? So this notion of frequency, and then part of that is there's shorter trips, and so you know taking, say, local bus is, is good because it gets you where you want to go. But sometimes you want to travel some distance. You want to go from outside of uh, Mary County. You want to go from Carmel to downtown. You want to go from downtown to Greenwood or downtown to uh, the east side or the west side or whatever. And there, the key is to do that as quickly as you can. Yeah. If you want to introduce the notion of sort of rapid into rapid transit. Because again, in order to make it convenient, and as you talk about the workday, if, if you want to get to an event or if you want to get to work, today we all have our cars and we do that, we sort of have a sense it takes us X amount of time to get there. You really need to have a system that's kind of competitive with that. It doesn't have to be as fast, because frankly, if I'm on a great rapid transit vehicle, it has Wi-Fi, and, and it takes me 30 minutes both ways, I've now added an hour to my day of productivity, which not, not, it doesn't have to be work productivity, although all the lawyers listening are thinking extra billable hours, <laughs> but I mean productivity in the sense of I can sleep, I can read, I can, you know, I can be on Twitter, I can be listening to this webcast, right? Uh, I can, I've basically added time to my life that I today spend inefficiently because I'm driving, maybe I'm listening to the radio, I'm certainly not texting. Uh, I may have a phone in my ear or you know, a, hands, uh, a headset in my ass. You know, that's not terribly productive time. When I was um, uh, in New York, I went to Queens College, which was, is a commuter school, much like IUPUI. Mm -hmm. And it was an hour commute. It was a 30-minute drive, but I didn't have a car, so that wasn't an option. But it was an hour commute on two buses. I could study for exams. I wrote papers in the days when you actually used something called a pen and paper. Um, 
My children have seen those in museums. Yes, so have mine. Mm-hmm. Allison is naughty. She's heard of them. Mm-hmm. But um, that that was the hour that I counted on to study for my 8 o'clock exam or my 9 o'clock exam. Right. So think about how this might work for uh, a young professional. I'll use uh, Allison as an example. So a young professional who's working in one of the businesses we're talking about today, but she's going to school at night because she's getting a master's or MBA or um, she has an associate's so she's getting that four-year degree or, or whatever. So if she's able to effectively get from work to school on public transit, that becomes productive time for her so she can do the homework or she can tie up loose ends for work, she can do whatever, but all of a sudden her life has just gotten a lot better. It's less harried. Now, I think that makes better. It makes you a better person. It makes it just easier to live. And when it's easier to live, it's, you're more productive at work. It's better. You know, you do everything uh, more effectively when you're happier and able to use your time well. And a lot of times, you know, we're all we're all stressed and strained, mm-hmm. right? And so finding that little extra time, if you can take some of those little things out of your life, uh, in terms of it's like taking a little pebble out of the shoe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's about giving options. It's about creating options so it's work. it works for employers, employees, and the like. Here's the second we haven't really talked about. It works really well for seniors. In this community, oh, it's absolutely. really difficult to age well in your own home if you can't drive. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, a lot of seniors are less comfortable driving. They lose their driving privileges, et cetera. So if you don't have somebody who's taking you about, Mm-hmm. In this community today, you kind of get locked in. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really, really difficult. So part of this, part of the reason to build a robust system is for that kind of accessibility as well. So you start to think, how do you make your senior years more productive? Uh, because they can, they can be more integrated. And the, um, the other thing I think that comes out of that, and, and you mentioned it before we got on the air, where I'm going to sort of close the loop and tie this back to businesses, um, you talked about the fact that as you drive down college on 56 and 48 and 42nd or whatever, there are these little intersections of, of retail businesses right. because those were the trolley stops. Right. So now you have seniors that have access or you have people of any age that have access up and down on these public transportation routes right. where they can hop on and hop off at a grocery store and then it becomes less critical that a store be just a few blocks away because you can literally hop off on, I mean, I can visualize coming out of downtown, getting off at Fresh Market. I don't have to hassle with parking in that tiny little lot that they have. Hop off, get something for dinner, hop back on, or at any number of special places along the way. And the other thing we've seen in other communities like ours that are, you know, a decade or two ahead of us in building out this infrastructure. So places like Charlotte, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Denver, Minneapolis, these are communities we compete with all the time for businesses, for talent, et cetera. And they've begun building out these systems. And what they've seen is the same thing that you just described, is that as they build these station stops, and in Charlotte's a great example, it's a community a lot like ours, they had an abandoned freight corridor, a lot like our nickel plate line, mm-hmm. right, that runs from Noblesville down to downtown, and uh, kind of ran through lots of different, kind of through their version of Castleton, kind of through their version of Broad Ripple, through kind of more urban neighborhoods into the downtown. 
That went live, that system went into live in uh, 2007, late 2007. Five years later, even in the midst of a financial recession, over a billion dollars worth of real estate development on that corridor. And it's these kind of mixed-use neighborhoods. A lot of housing, uh, businesses popping up, retail, and now businesses moving there because it's more convenient for folks to get to them. And you start to really create this notion of the walkable, sustainable, livable neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it's great for uh, not just young professionals, but back to the point of seniors, mm -hmm. and the ability to you know, kind of be able to, 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 to access all of those great uh, amenities. And that's exactly the model here. You know, we used to have streetcars mm -hmm. all over Indianapolis. Um, and, in fact, that's what I, I want to point out to people. When you start talking about things like what I've just described is the nomenclature or the jargon uh, in, the, uh, in the industry is transit-oriented development. That makes people's eyes glaze over. <laughs> like, huh? So I said, no, drive up college. Think about driving up college and those little economic nodes every four or five blocks. That also runs because they were streetcar stops, mm -hmm. right? That's transit-oriented development. Well, that's the light bulb goes off. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Well, you know, um, uh, and I remember uh, a number of years ago listening to, to Brian Payne talk about his vision for what would happen um, in some of these corridors when they added the cultural trail. And... Um, it is so much fun to go down to Fountain Square now because I've got two of my favorite restaurants are right there along the last section of the cultural trail, and you can see um, these burned-out buildings and these abandoned buildings. The people are starting to go, you know, we could renovate that and put a business here because people are coming back and forth. They're walking back and forth. They're driving back and forth, and... Um, you know, businesses follow the money. Yeah. Well, and more importantly, businesses follow talent. Yes. So if you're a business owner and you've got a growth plan over the next decade, and part of that growth plan involves recruiting young professionals, you need to be aware of the fact that this is the first generation uh, in American history since, the, since Henry Ford started uh, building automobiles that doesn't want to buy cars at the same rate that the previous generation did. Fewer millennials have driver's licenses, own cars, or want to own cars. They want to live in these walkable neighborhoods. Yeah. They don't want to live, and I'm overgeneralizing, but the majority don't want to live out in sort of the classic suburban picket fence, 2.4 children, five cars, et cetera, sort of environment. Some folks do, and guess what? That's wonderful. You want that? We got that for you. But most uh, young professionals don't look for that. They want to live closer in. And it's not just, I want to live closer into the downtown. They want to live closer into the kinds of amenities we just talked about. So think about here in Carmel, Carmel City Center. Some of the vision of Carmel City Center is to create that walkable neighborhood where you've got uh, housing options, retail, uh, restaurants, cultural employment, so you don't have to sort of drive to everything. As I heard somebody recently say the definition of neighborhood. Um, if you have to get in your car to go to the store, mm -hmm. you don't live in a neighborhood, yeah. right? You may live in a nice Developing. residential area, yes. but you don't live in a neighborhood, and that's sort of classic definition. So your business, and that's your growth strategy, and that's your talent attraction uh, model, 
and you're thinking about where you should locate your business, um, probably a nice plot in a rural community isn't the right option for you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. So what we see is as the talent moves to these sort of centers, if you will, to these city centers, that's where businesses start to grow and start to move. And it is a little bit, uh, it is a little symbiotic, right? I mean, talent goes to where jobs are. Although, again, I got to tell you, the surveys show this group of young professionals, the millennials, the Gen Ys, whatever we're calling these. Can guys, we just call them 20 to 30? We, we come a lot younger. Uh, in my view, I just come a lot younger than me. But um, yeah, the twentieth, the twenty-somethings, um, they also more often than not now decide where they want to live and then go look for a job once they're there, as opposed to finding a job and moving to where the job is. So that's why it's so important to make Indianapolis and the region sort of a magnet to attract this kind of talent. And not just build out good transportation infrastructure, but have good civic and cultural amenities and all those kinds of things. Because increasingly, talent wants to live, they, these young people want to live in a cool place. Yeah. They want to go someplace where there's a cool factor. Mm-hmm. And then I know from recruiting businesses in the economic development side, we always ask, what are the top three criteria? What do they look for? They look for location, access to customers, suppliers, blah, 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 right? Location and workforce, mm-hmm. access to talent. So talent, so the coolness of your city drives, talent attraction and the availability of talent drives business attraction. And it keeps you, your, so folks listening today know this, you know, intrinsically, if you can't find the kind of workers you need, the kind of staff you need here, well, to be successful, you're going to go someplace else. Mm-hmm. So. Very, very cool. All right, so um, if people want to learn about sort of what you have planned for the uh, transit initiative, mm-hmm. where can they go to get more information? So uh, we have a little timing issue here simply because in two weeks we're going to be rolling out our new public campaign. Awesome. Um, so if you're interested right now, go to, uh, I tell you, if you just Google IndyConnect now, in, in three weeks, our website will be live, uh, indyconnectnow.com. But our sort of sister site, uh, indyconnect.org, has a lot of information on it about, about what we're thinking about, planning, and the like. Um, so if you just go out and if you do a little social media search for uh, IndyConnect or the uh, Indianapolis Transit Plan, you'll come to us. You'll find us. Awesome. We're, we're trying to make ourselves real accessible, <laughs> trying to get those SEO things up, right? Very cool. Yeah, there we go. I'll learn that from you, I think. Yay, good. It's nice to have taught you something. Um, but what we will do is we'll go back, um, because people do come back to these episodes, so we'll make sure that in the description we have the link to the website. It's yeah. goes live. Yeah. Now, if they want to catch up with you. Sure. Um, shoot me a note. Uh, email rgifford, G-I-F-F-O-R-D, at syncorp, C-I-N-C-O-R-P dot com. I'm at Central Indiana Corporate Partnership. You can find me on Twitter at R.D. Gifford. And, and, and okay, uh, so, so now I'm, I'm going to tease you just a little bit because they, they will find you on Twitter. <laughs> will you talk to them? I will. Okay. I will. I'm not one of those uh, tweet masters. Uh, I'm not constantly out there telling people what I had for breakfast, but uh, 
I do love to have dialogue with folks, and I every once in a while try to throw something relevant out there. Very cool. Well, I won't jam up your Twitter feed with uh, irrelevant stuff you don't care about about my cats and kids. So. No, but I do think that there is genuine interest in the community um, in learning more about this. And I think if you um, do share some of the updates, I think um, I, I think a lot of our listeners, I think a lot of the folks that we talk to on, on Twitter will definitely um, be watching your progress. Well, our initiative is very socially media active and savvy. So we'll have at IndyConnect, at, at IndyConnect now, and so we'll be out on all the social media platforms. Awesome. And um, in your picture of the future, when do we start actually seeing some of the trains? Yeah, so there's two things we have to do. The first thing is our legislature has to give us some tools locally to get this done, and we're asking them to do this in the 2013 session. If we get that done, we actually take the question to the voters in the fall of 2013 to get their buy-in, literally and figuratively. And if we cross both um we start, uh, we start making plans uh, in 2014, and we think that by the time we celebrate Indianapolis's bicentennial in 2020, we will have this very robust transit system that will allow us to leapfrog all these other communities I've talked about and uh, establish our leadership again as being a great place to do business and to raise a family and to live and have great times. Awesome. It's uh, great, uh, something wonderful to look forward to. Thank you again. Great to be here. If you've enjoyed today's program, if you'd like to learn more about the indie business community, marketing, social media, be sure to check our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening. <laughs>